section after a doctrinal section, he'll say therefore, and what the therefore is, is how you should live in light of this teaching that I just gave you. But in a strictly didactic section of Scripture, hear me, application is hard to come by. And you know, man, that's where I want to preach. I want to take the exegesis of the historical text follow our hermeneutical arch and get it over into what it means for us today based on what it meant when it was originally written. But boy, a didactic section is just hard. So I left here thinking, well, we're going to skip this thing and we're going to close out 1 Corinthians real quick So i got to get through this didactic stuff. But little did I know that the Spirit of God was saying, no, you're not. We're going to stick right here for a little while, so maybe a couple more weeks. So here's how we want to boil all this down, what Paul is talking about. And here's what we want to talk about today. A glimpse into your future. Because that's what Paul gives us. Hey, here is your destiny. So let's mark it down real good. Let me ask you a hypothetical question. What if, just what if, you could somehow or another put your hands on a genuine, verified, truthful newspaper that is dated October the 4th of 2023. Somehow or another, this thing went through a time warp, passed through an eternal vacuum. I don't know however you want to justify it. But somehow or another, you ended up with a newspaper that is from six months down the road. What would be the first section you look at and what would you do in light of the information that you glean from that paper? For example, yeah, Jerry, I knew it was coming. Jerry just want to know if I'm she's still alive then. So he's looking at the obituaries. But, but hey, what if you went to the, to the stock market report? And man, you found out you got some information that nobody else has. And all of a sudden there is a stock that is a rising star. And in six months, its value has quadrupled. What would you do with that information? I can tell you what you'd do. You'd get your money out of whichever one it's in now that's losing money. <laughs> and you'd put it over there in that one and you'd wait for October the 4th to get here so you could cash it in, right? And you see, that's what Paul is doing for us in these didactic sections of Scripture. He's giving us a glimpse into our future and hey... Because we have almost that, we have something more reliable than the newspaper here. We have the eternal Word of God that is showing us what is going to take place in the future. You see, this section deals with the what of the resurrection. Next week he's going to deal with the when of the resurrection, talking about the last day when the trumpet will sound. And on that day, all of this is going to come to fruition. So let me ask you a question. How are you going to live with this information? Because this is more reliable than a newspaper giving us the report of a stock that's going to shoot high. This is the infallible, authoritative, never failing, never fading Word of God. So let's take a glimpse into our future and see what it is that Paul says about it that should determine how we live today. By the way, Didactic sections of Scripture are my least favorite. Another reason why I wanted to skip past this. But here we go. Notice what it is that Paul says. 
as he gives us a glimpse into our future. In verses 35 through 38, here's what he does. He tells us that resurrection is verified in the natural order. So if you are really doubting the fact that there is a resurrection, Paul would say, you idiot. If you just look around, the natural world is filled with living and vivid illustrations of the resurrection. Now, as a matter of fact, I believe this is one of the reasons why Paul wrote things like this in the book of Romans. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So can I ask you a question? When was the last time you looked at the natural order and you saw things like Paul just described? His invisible attributes, His eternal nature, things about God which this natural order has put in it inherently by its designer. And you know, hey, this is, this is really the heart of missionary witness. Man, when we're among the quilombolas of Brazil, they don't think like we think. They don't think abstractly. They don't think analytically. So we have to take something from the natural order and illustrate to them from the natural physical order this is how it is in the physical and make that connection. And God has just made this universe to be rich with those types of analogies and those types of connections. So here he's going to prove to these people who were saying, well, what kind of body are we going to have? You know, who were really turning their nose up this idea of a resurrection. And by the way, they did the same thing with Jesus. You remember when the Sadducees came to him in the Gospel of Mark and and, in other Gospels and said, you know, what type of body will they have? Or, Or this, that, or the other thing. Jesus said, you are mistaken. And the reason you're mistaken is because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. So check out how Paul pulls this out of natural creation and out of natural order. Notice what he does. And in in these verses, he really goes to the field of botany. Has anybody studied botany? He's going to get some lessons from the world of botany in order to prove the the, the resurrection. So check out the first thing he tells us from the natural order in verse number 36. He says, You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Here's what he's saying. Here's the principle. Death brings life. Now, isn't that what he's saying? He's saying there's no way that you can plant a seed and that seed bring forth fruit. It can't produce life unless it first does what? dies. So he's saying it's written, the genetic code of resurrection is written in this natural order and he reaches into the world of botany and says, don't you see that death brings life? So here's the reality. Man, just because our physical body is one day going to die, that does not mean that's the end. It doesn't mean that's the end of your physical body. And by the way, he's just talking here about what is it that stays in the grave. 
He is not in any way endorsing the heretical doctrine of soul sleep. What sleeps is your body. He says in 2 Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. So you're not just hanging out in a grave. Your body is sleeping, but when you die, friend, you are ushered straight into the presence of Him. So check out what He does. He says, death itself brings life. So that's good news, isn't it? I mean, he, he talks about seeds and he says, a seed cannot bring forth life unless it first dies. Now let's run on before I illustrate that. Notice what else he says in verses 37 through 38. He says, the difference is obvious or the difference is astounding. Look what he says. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain perhaps of wheat or something else. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that the life that comes forth from the death of the seed, he's saying that plants do not resemble pre-germinated or pre-germination seeds. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, yesterday, Heather and I did a little spring gardening. I got a couple seeds still in my pocket here. Now, if I lived in New York City and I had never been raised on a farm and I had never had a botany class in my life and somebody came and told me that this is where watermelons come from, let me tell you, I'd be agnostic. I'd say, are you crazy? Have you seen the size of a watermelon? I mean, a watermelon's this long, this big around. Some of them get up 90 and 100 pounds. And you're going to tell me that a watermelon is in there? No, it's not. Let me tell you where watermelons come from. Watermelons come from Walmart. <laughs> I mean, that's what most folk think anyhow, isn't it? But this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that, 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 that the plant that comes from this doesn't resemble this pre-germination seed in any form or any fashion. Hey, you know what he's saying? Basically, your body is just a seed. Maybe I should say it like this. Let's use an acorn or a pecan. You're just a nut. <laughs> That's what your body is. But guess what's going to happen one day? Son, what's been planted is going to germinate. And when it germinates, it's going to come out and it's going to look a whole lot different than what we put in the ground, right? Hey, here's what he's saying. This is so cool. Do you know what Paul's saying every time we as a Christian community go to the graveyard and put one of our beloved family members in a box and put them in the ground and throw dirt on them? You know what he's saying? He's basically saying, here's what you're doing. You're just doing a little spring gardening. You're just planting them. One day they're going to come forth, and what comes forth ain't going to look anything like you put in the box that day. Huh? Man, that's so cool. Man, I can't wait to see some of you on that day. Because I'm going to look at you, and I'm going to be completely honest, and I'm going to say, man, you don't look anything like... <laughs> Huh? Yeah, that's a good thing, ain't it, Jerry? Here's what's cool. You're going to be changed in your appearance, but your identity remains the same. We're going to know one another. 
but you may not recognize me by my bald head. <laughs> Check out number next. Notice else what Paul says. He talks about the difference of being obvious as he plunders the world to botany to prove the resurrection. Plants do not resemble pre-germination seeds. And look what he says in verse number 38. But God gives it a body, that which comes out of the ground, just as He wished, underline that word, just as He wished. Here's the principle that Paul is teaching. Not only do plants not resemble the pre-germination seed, but it proceeds according to God's predetermined desire. You see that word wished? It is in the completed past tense form. Meaning that God's not flying by the seat of His pants. He's not just running this thing helter-skelter. He gives you a body at the resurrection just as He wished. Now here's the reality. When did He desire this? You see, because here's the, here's the dealio. Our future form is going to proceed according to God's predetermined plan which He predetermined before the foundation of the world. So after the world is finished, it's proceeding exactly as He planned before the foundation of the thing. Son, is He good or what? Is He powerful or what? So God already knows what you're going to be. As a matter of fact, here's an interesting thought. Do you know that passage over there in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about, I knew a man some 14 years ago, whether in the body or out, I cannot say, who was caught up into the third heaven and saw things that are unlawful to be uttered. You know what? A good majority of scholars in that particular brand of, of genre of literature say that God allowed Paul to see himself in the finished form. Now man, how would, what would that do for you? And they say that's what gave Paul the impetus. That's why he fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. That's why he suffered shipwreck. That's why he was in prison. That's why he was, in, he was beating. Because he saw the final product. He saw in finished form what God had desired before the foundation of the world. So Paul is plundering the world of botany here to prove the resurrection. And he's saying it's all around you guys. Just look. You can see that this is not a far-fetched idea. God's put it in the genetic code of the natural order to show that there is life after your body dies. Notice what else he does. And I, I just had to pull out to get this one. It's, in, it's found within the scripture that Sandra read this morning. Here's what it says. It basically says... That present salvation gives us a preview. A preview of what? A preview of resurrection. Check out what it is that John says over there in 1 John and chapter number 3 where Sandra read this morning. Look what he says. He says, Beloved, in verse number 2, Now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be like we know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. 
Everyone who practices, that word is in a present continual sense, it can be translated like this. Everyone who continually, habitually practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins. In Him there is no sin. No one abides in Him sins and no one who sins has seen Him or knows Him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of Man appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because here it is. Look at verse number 9. His seed abides in him and he cannot continually, habitually practice sin because he's born of God. Look at me. That word seed can be translated as genetic code. And when you're born again, hear me. God puts His seed, His genetic DNA within you. And from that moment on, you begin to reflect the DNA, spiritual DNA that's in you, just as your physical body today reflects the physical DNA from the... From the, from the chromosomes of your parents. So now what John is saying here is not only does the world of botany illustrate the reality of the resurrection, but also the spiritual transaction that takes place when a person is born again. And here's what John is saying. And here's what Paul, when you combine it with Paul, if there is being no transformation in your life because the spiritual seed is already germinating within you, there may not be no resurrection because they're vitally linked. So hey, what is God's DNA? What is His genetic code bringing forth in your life today because of the present implications of our eternal salvation? Number next, i got to run. Let me put my seeds back in my pocket. Paul tells us here as he gives us a glimpse into our future that resurrection is verified in the natural order. In verses 39 through, 40, through 43 tells us this. Our resurrection body is far from the original. <laughs> it's a long way. And you know when I originally wrote this, I put that our resurrection body is light years from the original. You know why? Because in this section, in the first section, he went into the world of botany. But in this section, he goes into the world of astronomy in order to prove the resurrection. Man, Paul, he was a smart cookie, you know what I'm saying? Let alone the fact that he was inspired by the Spirit of God. Now, look, let me just boil all this down to three principles. And we'll, we, we may flesh out some more in, in Grace Group this week. But notice how far our resurrection body will be from the original. Look in verse number 42. Here's what it is that Paul says. Let me get back there. I'm still in 1 John. Let me find Corinthians real fast. Corinthians 15, verse number 42. Notice what Paul says. So also, and, and check this out, all this stuff. In, in verse number 40, there are heavenly bodies. Now look, he's not talking about celestial planets here. Just a little confusion, confusing. Here he's talking about heavenly bodies. And then he starts talking about moon and stars in the next verse. So don't confuse those two. Sometimes they're confusing because we refer to planets and things in the solar system as what? Heavenly bodies. But he's talking about 
your future body. So check out what it is he does in verse number 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is on a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. So here's the light years difference in, in your state now and what you will be in the future. Number one, it's going to go from perishable to imperishable. Now let's just look at those two words for a minute. Perishable. Here's what it means very simply. It means that from the moment you are born, the downward pull of sin and death is having a physical effect on you. And here's the reality. As soon as that cute little bundle of joy comes into the world, the death process has already started. Did you know that? You know why? Because we have a perishable body. Those are the effects of sin. And in your body, look, you only have so many heartbeats in your ticker. Did you know that? And ain't a whole lot you can do to add any. Jesus taught us that in another didactic passage in the Sermon on the Mount, remember? He said, there's not one thing. You can't add anything to your life. So there's only so many heartbeats. You've got only so many steps in your feet. You've got only a certain amount of time on this planet before your body perishes. And we plant it, put it in the ground, and cover it up. So here's the deal. We're planted a perishable body, but we're raised an imperishable body. When you come forth on resurrection day, there's going to be no more of the downward pull of sin and death in your life. There's going to be no more corruption. You're not going to wear out. Things aren't going to hurt. You're going to be fashioned for eternity. My goodness. Give me a little of that now. I mean, how many of you every morning you wake up, something else hurts you didn't even know you had? Huh? I mean, my Lord. I mean, it's coming true every day. I, uh, what's the old song say? I'm not as good as I once was. Uh, every day I encounter something. My body says, you can't do that, boy. <laughs> but my pride says, and the next day I'm hurting because I did it. I mean, that's just the way it works. I mean, you are dying. Have you ever noticed that? You're dying. Roger's look in the mirror. You'll see, I'm dying. <laughs> that's all you got to say. Your body is deteriorating right out from under you. That's what it's doing. So hey, a little bit of, little bit of advice. Uh, look, hey, whatever you do, don't go get a cute butterfly tattoo on your derriere. Because <laughs> ain't going to be just a few years, that butterfly going to turn back into an ugly caterpillar. <laughs> your skin just begins to droop. <laughs> ain't that right? That butterfly is going to say, I'm going back to my cocoon. <laughs> because your body is perishing. I mean, I've got, I, I used to hunt with a guy when I was 16. He was about 80, Ron, and I thought he was Methuselah. But my good goodness, this guy had the best deer hunting territory in South Mississippi. And he'd take me deer hunting. And, and I can remember him saying all the time, he, he, he'd come out of the woods and he'd just, be, blood would be dripping off his fingers. <laughs> and I'd say, Mr. Langston, are you hurt? He'd say, oh, son, that's just old man skin. He said, I didn't even hit anything. I just got close to a barbed wire fence and started bleeding. And he said, one day, you're going to do the same thing. Guess what? <laughs> I do the same thing now. Because our bodies are just dissolving and deteriorating right out from under us. 
Is that the reality or not? Check out number next. Look else what, what else what Paul says. Look at the vast difference between the original and the one that's going to come forth. The difference is from perishable to imperishable. How you come forth out of the grave on resurrection morning, you're going to be exactly in that same condition 10 billion years from that day. Huh? Probably in the prime. Look at number next, how far we go. We go go from dishonor to glory. Verse number 43, look what he says. It is sown, it's planted. When we do a little spring gardening one day with you, it's sown in dishonor, but one day it's going to be raised in glory. And that word dishonor, have you ever thought about that with your body? That you have a body of dishonor? Let me help you a little bit with it. Do you know how much money is spent in the United States of America every year just to keep our bodies from stinking? Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> Look, the peanut gallery up here saying some of y'all ain't spending a dime on it. <laughs> Hey, I laughed last night. I watched one of the USFL games and Magoo, the quarterback for, uh, <laughs> for Birmingham, they had him mic'd and he was on the bottom of the pile and there was about six or eight big old guys on him and he was still mic'd underneath the pile. And Heather said, what'd he say? What'd he say? Because his mic was live. Here's what he said. He said, my Lord, don't you men put on deodorant? <laughs> Hilarious. I mean, he was covered up in flesh and apparently it was stinking flesh. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, look here. <laughs> I mean, some of us are pretty proud of our bodies. But Scripture says it is sown in dishonor. In dishonor. I mean, really. I mean, if, if, if we didn't cover up stink, you'd see just how dishonorable your body is, right? I mean, we've got to have mouthwash and toothpaste and right guard and perfume and you name it. we got to have all that stuff because we're trying to cover up the dishonor. But look at me. It's going to be raised in glory. That word glory, let's translate it like this. All inspiring, radiant, perfection and beauty. My goodness. It really is, Mr. Monk, a story of folk going from the ugly duckling to the beautiful white swan. Because that's what our future is. We're going to be some good-looking dudes. Did you know that? Because we're going to go from dishonor to glory. Notice number next. Look what else Paul says here in verse number 43. We go from perishable to imperishable, from dishonor to glory. But verse number 43 says, It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Now notice everything Paul has said about our body in this time-space existence. Number one, it's perishable. And it's perishing. It only has so long a shelf life. That's all there is to it. Number two, it's dishonorable. And number three, it's weak. It's weak. Now, I was watching a, a show not too long ago, and I, I watched this, this guy. 
He wasn't a doctor. They called him something else, a physiologist or something, not a physician, but just a smart guy that studies the human body. And here's what he said. He said, on one hand, the human body is a marvel. And it causes us to, 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 to just sometimes swoon when we're trying to figure out things in neurology and things of that nature. Because we still... Uh, neurologists, ones that are truthful and not prideful to tell you that they're only touching about 10% of the iceberg. So much they don't know because our body being designed by God is a marvel. So he said on one hand it's a marvel, but on the other hand it's pretty pathetic. Now wait a minute, my, my ears tuned in because I thought he was about to do some heretical stuff here, you know. So the theologian in me turned my ears on to see what he was going to say. And I couldn't help but agree with him. He was right. He's saying, for example, he said, have you ever noticed how much maintenance your body requires? And it does. It requires a whole lot of maintenance. Do you know how much of your life you're going to spend in the rack? <laughs> Some of us more than others, right? But even somebody who only sleeps seven or eight hours a day, that's one-third of the time that you're going to spend on this planet. You're going to spend it in the bed. And he was saying that's just an example of the inefficiency of our body. He also said this. He said, as it relates to conversion of physical food into usable glucose and nutrition for our body, he said we waste more than we use because our body's not very good at, at, at breaking it down and using everything that we eat. And I thought, man, this guy's on track. And here's, here's something else he said. Listen to this. This is what got me. He said, and we are so inefficient mentally. He said, neurologists and neurology today is saying that the average person uses only a fraction of their brain capacity. And this is what got me. He said, as a matter of fact, the brightest. He used Einstein as an example. He said, Einstein used no more than 2% of his mental capacity. Now son, listen to me. If Einstein was only hitting on about 2%, <laughs> Ron, I'm down in the point zero, zero, zero. <laughs> you better believe it, son. It's minuscule. But you know, I got to thinking about it and I think he's right because do you know that Adam in his pre-sin state was a genius? Did you know that? I mean, God brought every animal and everything that God's created. Do you know how many things there are that biologists are still classifying today? And the Bible says God brought them before Adam and He named every one of them. And He probably filed it away and remembered their name. So on the pop quiz, He would make an A+. Adam was a smart cookie. And hear me, here's where present salvation comes in. Present salvation talks about the fact that we've been given the mind of Christ. Do you know how intelligent He was on this planet? Man, we ought to be bumping up to at least one and a half percent, huh? If we've been born again. But think about this, man. When you are resurrected, I want to tell you, there's no more like, there's no more two percent geniuses, because everybody is hitting on every cylinder. And son, I want to tell you the Mensa Society of today would be the slow class of the resurrection. Huh? That's how we're going to come forth. Because we're sown in weakness, but we're raised in power. 
There's going to be very little that's outside the scope of our possibility. Get this. Let this blow your mind. Here's what a lot of scholars say about this didactic text. Look what it is that Paul is talking about when he, when he gets up here in verse number 41 and he begins to talk about the glory of the sun and the glory of the moon and how stars differ. He's talking about the variety that God has, the, the variety in which God has created things in different stages of glory. But here's what a lot of folk are deducing. Why did Paul put that in there? Man, this is a cool thought. A lot of frontline scholars are saying because our resurrection body is not going to be limited by time nor space. So here's the thing. In your resurrected body and glory, if you want to see what God did on the other side of the Milky Way galaxy, all you got to do is think it. Boom! You're there looking at it. You ain't got to catch a train. You ain't got to ride a, a bus. There are no airports in heaven. And listen, do you know how big God is? The Bible says He inhabits eternity. So heaven is going to be limitless. So how are you going to see it if you're dependent upon physical transportation? You're not. Your body's going to be able to time travel. It's going to be able to go across space. It's going to be able to go anywhere that you can think it'll take you there. And here's why. Because everything that God set there is set there to inspire worship from us. It all points to Him. And by the way, have you looked at have you ever seen those books that are filled with those photographs taken by the Hubble telescope and taken by uh, Mars Discovery and things like that? Have you ever looked at those? I mean, my goodness, to look at the photograph, I'm like, my goodness. I mean, it's just gorgeous, some of the colors and the way those things are, 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 are fashioned and put together. And look, you won't have to look at them through a telescope. You won't be dependent upon pictures in a book. You can just go there and check it out. And you know what you're going to do when you go there and see it? You got to, that's exactly right. You're going to worship the Creator. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. And son, we're going to be right there, part and parcel to every bit of it with a front row seat because your resurrection body is going to allow you to go there. My word. Check out number next, and I've got to bring this thing to a close. A glimpse into your future. Resurrection is verified in the natural order. Our resurrection body is far from the original. And in verses 44 through 49 of this didactic passage, passage Paul tells us our resurrection body has a new orientation. A new orientation. Look at these verses. Verses 44 through 36. Here's what he says. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, look at this logic, there is also a spiritual body. So also is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-human spirit. Here's what he's doing. He's comparing and contrasting Adam as the federal head of everybody who's ever been born on this planet with Christ who is the second Adam and the head of everyone who's been born again on this planet. And he says one became a living soul, one became a life-given spirit in verses 44 through 46. Check out 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. So here's the new orientation that you're going to have in heaven. Your being is going to be grounded in the spiritual, not the physical. 
You're going to be oriented toward the spiritual rather than the natural and the physical. Now, follow me, and here's what Paul's saying, because Paul wades off in some deep water here. What is it that you fight more than anything in order to be spiritual on this planet? It's natural and physical things. Am I right? For example, here's the deal. Because the first Adam became a life human. The first Adam was of this earth. Guess what, he, guess what happened when he died? He returned to this earth. The second Adam was from heaven. Guess where he went when he died? You're right. So you see the new orientation here in the resurrection. We will be as Christ. We will be grounded in the spiritual. So it's always the natural that we fight against. It's the physical that is the enemy to our spirituality. That's why Jesus taught things like this, like, like fasting. Did you know that? Because when you fast, you are proving that the spiritual is more important to you than the physical or the natural. So you're going to give up a meal in order to seek something that's spiritual. He's trying to get us out of being grounded in the natural and move us over to becoming more centered and grounded in the spiritual. And that's our battle. John, that's my battle every day. It's to fight the natural and downward pull of the natural and the physical. Let me tell you how... Let me, let me give you another illustration of that. Man, Grace Church, if everybody who was a part of Grace Church participated in Grace Church, we couldn't all fit in here. Do you know that? But do you know why it is why so many of us aren't here on any given Sunday? Because there was something in the natural realm that they'd rather be doing. Right? There's something in the physical realm that they'd rather be... Whether it was the way they were feeling naturally, whether it was the weather naturally, whether it was a physical event, no matter what, that is the pull. But son, in this new body, it's going to be grounded in the spiritual rather than the natural. Hey, that's just the way we are. For example, let me ask you a question. Let's compare and contrast today. Let's compare and contrast your cardiologist who might have 12, 13, 14 years of education in order to do what he does. Let's compare your cardiologist with your pastor who has 13, 14 years of education to do what he does. Which is more important to you? Your natural physical care or your spiritual care? Well, let's just ask this question. When you go to a cardiologist, what do you pay him? <laughs> Thank you, Cliff. I mean, I'm just pointing it out. Look at here. Look at, I'm not complaining. I didn't go in this for money. Boy, it would have been bad news if I had. <laughs> I didn't go in this for the money. But it just points out how this earth is grounded in the natural and the physical and could care less about the spiritual. But he says in that new existence, it's going to be the other way around. You're not going to have the downward pull of that natural physical stuff anymore. Check out number next. I'm hurrying. Uh, look, has a new orientation. Grounded in the spiritual, not the physical. Suited for existence in heaven, not this planet. Look what he says. Verse number 47. The first man is from the earth, earthy. And the second man is from heaven. Here, here's what it means. Your new body is going to be conditioned 
and it's going to be formed and it's going to be planned and it's going to be designed for existence in the expanse of heaven. And again, gives evidence to the fact that you might just be able to think about it and travel all the way across a galaxy to see the glory of God in another light in another world. Because you're going to have a body that's not going to be it's not going to be the same as this earth. It's going to be vastly different. You're going to be able to do things. My goodness. It's going to be, it's going to be immensely better than having a new smart car and figuring out everything that baby will do. You know, we're probably going to be like baby calves. Have you ever seen a baby calf just trying to stand up and walk for the first time? When you get out of the grave, it's going to be like, my goodness. <laughs> what have I got here and what will this thing do? How long is it going to take us to learn how to drive it? Well, not long at all because we're going to be at 100% mental capacity, right? Here you go. i got to hurry. <laughs> Verse number 49. Here's the difference. Verse number 49. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. So here's the last difference. Or here's the new orientation. The new orientation is that our resurrection body resembles the Savior, not our parents. I was preaching at a rather large church not long ago. And there must have been, I don't know, 15, 1,800 people there. And there just happened to be a guy there from my hometown of Lozana, Mississippi that knew me back in the day. I mean in the day when I had a mustache, <laughs> hair, all those kind of things before the downward pull of corruption and perishable took place. And he said, you know, I was sitting way in the back and the pastor was introducing you saying, tonight we have Richie Allen. He said, I didn't know you are here. He said, so I stood up to look down in the front to try to see you. And he said, I told my wife, I see Pete Allen, his daddy, but I don't see Richie anywhere. I thought, you dog. <laughs> you know, what, what's that song say? Just trying, to, just trying not to be like my old man. But the older I get, the more I am. I, I, do y'all, have y'all had this experience? I mean, I, I said something just the other day, and I thought to myself, good God, that was daddy. <laughs> but guess what? In heaven, you're going to say something, and you're going to say, hey, man, that was Jesus. Because <laughs> you're going to resemble the Savior more than you resemble your parents. Hey, we got to park this car back in the same garage we got it out of, Cliff. This is your future. Man, this is worship worthy, is it not? This is what God has planned for you. This is what He has in store for you by virtue of what Christ did for you on Calvary's cross. It all comes in the package. So this glimpse into your future. How are you going to live differently today? Can I say this to you? Man, this future is so astounding and it's so over the top until your faith can afford to take risk for His glory today. So no matter what it is that God's saying to you, what He's calling it, calling you to do, in Jesus' name, you can afford to get at it today. Be lavish in your faith because you won't regret it on that great getting up morning. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, it blows us away at what you have put in the seed that you have placed in all of us that has all types of DNA and genetic markers that's going to come to full fruition one day.
And Lord, we thank you for that. It blows our mind. We, we can't get the 1% that we're using today around it all. But thank you that one day we'll not be limited and we'll worship you as you are worthy. I pray for those who are here today that in light of what you are going to do need to make some life adjustments, Lord. And even in this day and time need to become more grounded in the spiritual rather than that which is passing away and fading the natural. So I pray for those who are here today that have heard you calling them unto salvation. I pray God today would be just that day. I pray for those whom you're calling to the mission field, those you're calling to ministry, those you're calling to, to different stations of assignment in your kingdom. I pray that this would be the day that they would surrender. I pray for those whom you're calling to be a part of a church like Grace Church. I pray today would be their day of surrender. Whatever it is that you said, God, nothing is too costly in the light of the future that you have prepared for us. So may we be found obedient for your honor and glory. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Dr. John is up here on the front row.